Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio.
Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show, and thank you for tuning in. I am your host, T-Love, here at From the Heart Radio, and the founder and CEO of Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing underprivileged children with basic necessities of life. I'm also a board-certified integrated holistic health energy psychology, positive psychology, and energy and vibrational sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where From the Heart Radio streams to you live each and every week, bringing you optimistic and uplifting information from interesting people, people who are making a positive impact in our world. You know, today is World Teachers Day. Teachers make a huge difference in our world. We owe them a debt of gratitude for all they do to help our kids navigate life, teaching them the skills they need to not just survive, but to thrive. So happy World Teachers Day. Thank you for all you do to help our children create a better world. We are very fortunate to be speaking with Dr. Jennifer Fraser. Dr. Fraser is a best-selling author and award-winning educator. She has a Ph.D. in comparative literature, teaches online courses and workshops, providing dynamic lessons in the impact neuroscience has on personal development and culture change. And she just recently launched a new book, The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. While The Bullied Brain delves into the devastating impact bullying has on the brain, it also teaches us how the brain can heal from those effects, and that is our topic for discussion today. So welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you for taking time to join us here on From the Heart Radio. How are you being? Jennifer? Hello? Uh-oh. Here is Jennifer. I don't think you can hear me, and I do not know why. Jennifer, can you hear me? Oh, my God, I pointed a show that didn't, we couldn't hear. This is not good news. Wow. Okay. Uh, can you hear me now, Jennifer? Yes. Can you hear me? Oh, yay. Yes, I can. It, that means other people it can, It said too. unmuted. <laughs> it's, it sounds like I got muted, but now I'm not. Okay. All right, good. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, did you hear the intro? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was Welcome great. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking yeah, time no. to join us from the Heart Radio. How are you being? <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard it all, and I'm very happy to be here, and I'm glad I'm not muted anymore. <laughs> yeah, me too. That would have been really difficult because <laughs> I don't know the subject matter like you do. So, uh-oh, spaghetti <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, your book, The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health, it really runs the gamut from what bullying does to our brains to how we can heal from those effects. Now, this, this was a little bit puzzling to me because I thought, okay, she has a Ph.D. in comparative literature. And while I'm not schooled in comparative literature whatsoever, you know, this area, at least on the surface, it doesn't even hint at neuroscience, brain health, or bullying to me. But I could be wrong. So what was it that brought you to write about bullying and what it does to the brain? Yeah, no, it's a very, it's a very wise question. I, I did my Ph.D. at University of Toronto, 
And when you do a comparative lit degree there, what you're trained to do is take different discourses. So that could be economics and journalism or uh, power structures and psychology, all kinds of different things. And you put them into the arena. You pull them out of their silos. You take them away from their own inner conversations, and you put them into dialogue, and you see what happens. And so for this particular book, I've done that with all my books. But with this book, I wanted to say, okay, we have all these ideas and beliefs around bullying. Let's put them into the arena with science and see what happens. And, you know, I was nervous about it because, you know, when you're an academic, you're supposed to be very careful, as you would know, too, in the, in the counseling profession. You have to be careful that you don't sort of overstep your bounds and try and speak as an expert in a field that is not your expertise. So I checked in with Dr. Michael Merzenich, um, who's – who's uh, an American, but he's one of the world's most renowned and awarded neuroscientists, and he's also a very generous man. So he agreed to read the book and make sure there was no errors in it, and then he loved the book so much, he wrote the foreword for it, and funnily enough, because as you point out, I have a degree in comparative literature, he said, this is scientifically the most thorough treatment of the subject on planet Earth. I loved it. I'm, I'm not him, <laughs> you know, who am I? But I've been looking for somebody to talk about bullying for a long time. And when this book came across, when your publicist sent this book to me, I was very intrigued because it is very thorough. And it's such an important topic. It affects every age, not just children, but everyone. And everyone can, if they so choose, change their brain. And that's yeah. very real, you know. And I like the way from the start that you drive that point home. You know, um, that was just really important to be able to let people know this isn't just about helping children. This is everybody because you can end up with PTSD from the bullying and you can still, I I hate to say get over it, but you can get through it. How's that? Is that better? (laughs) I know I agree with you that you don't want to sort of have those platitudes around, oh, you know, it, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, all those kinds of things. Mm. Because in actual fact, bullying Um, In childhood, bullying in adulthood, all forms of abuse, including those that do not touch the body, they all have the capacity to absolutely harm the brain. And because the injuries or the neurological scars are invisible, we tend to ignore them. And we don't know that this is why we're acting the way we are, feeling the way we are, suffering mental health crises the way we are. You know, when you can look at the brain on a brain scan, which is what neuroscientists can do now. They can look at the brain. They can watch it even in action on an fMRI. And this gives us so much knowledge about how incredible our brains are, but also how vulnerable they are to all forms of bullying and abuse, whether in childhood or adulthood. Yeah, it's, I've had the opportunity to see, I'm going to call it neuroplasticity in action. Because you can have somebody think about something and actually create new pathways in the brain and watch it. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, fascinating. it's fascinating. I agree. I think, yeah. I, I think it's so empowering, too. I think for people to know, it's just like fitness. You know, it doesn't stop you getting in shape and taking, you know, exercise and good nutrition and healthy sleeping, that doesn't mean you don't go to the doctor necessarily or you don't have issues and problems, but it's incredibly empowering to be able to get yourself into tip-top health by the practices that you do. And what people mostly don't know is the brain is the same way. We can do evidence-based practices. We can have a brain fitness revolution, and we can get our brains way healthier without having to always depend on, you know, uh, 
talking it through with a professional or or going to a psychiatric ward and working through it that way. Yes, those are super important options, but you can also do a ton yourself. You can. And have you ever heard of brain yoga? No, that's amazing. There's brain yoga. I do it almost every day. There's brain yoga. It's fascinating because once you figure out the way just crossing your limbs can, you know, engage the brain and keep it active when you're doing yoga, you can actually do specific postures, new ones that have been created in squats and everything to to make that happen more so that you're engaging more of your brain. It's called brain yoga. I thought that was fascinating too. I just learned that a year ago. <laughs> Well, the thing about it is, you know, I, as as you know in the book, I have a whole chapter on physical fitness and yep. <laughs> martial arts and yoga and all those kinds of activities. And if you match them, you know, aerobic activity with all of the strategizing and concentration and like holding a yoga pose or really working on a soccer skill or football or these types of things that challenge the brain and the body simultaneously and then throw in also social emotional if you're doing a team sport you're connecting empathically with other players and your coach that's so good for your brain and body it it really is and you know recently I don't know how recently, actually, I'm, I'm accustomed to it, but we've heard a lot about neuroplasticity and how the brain is able to change, which is great. And that seems to be the foundation to the rest of your book. So in the first chapter of the book, you introduce five essential principles that help one to make an informed shift from ignoring the brain to both learning about it and harnessing its neuroplastic power. And I'm wondering, is, is that something that you'd be willing to go over with us? Can we go over those five principles Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, the the thought process behind it was the way I structured the book was with every chapter where you have to go through some of the difficult material around how harmful bullying and abuse is to the brain and why Uh our society doesn't really understand that and still has these entrenched belief systems around how bullying and abuse are actually a necessary evil for greatness. These types of things I actually think are critical to debunk because if we don't, if we don't take a look at that, we don't have the motivation for change. So with the first five principles, I really wanted to share with readers um, concepts that we rarely hear about in society. We're not taught in school. It's not exactly something you don't learn it in university or anything like that. It's really quite strangely hidden in our society and and the scientists have so much information so for example you know one of the things that happens is as i discuss in the book is a person can develop a mind bully and the mind bully is someone that's a a really negative self-talk it's always putting you down it's always holding you back it's always telling you you're not good enough because you've identified with the aggressor you've internalized this bully figure so to contrast that for example and this is one of the principles in um, chapter one, you have you have to remember at all times, and I encourage people to visualize, like close your eyes, do your deep breathing, and see this. And what I want people to see is their brain has 86 billion neurons. That's brain cells, 86 mm-hmm. billion neurons. And when, it, when I mean, neuroscientists don't, they struggle to find something comparable in the universe. And the only thing they can come up with is the stars. You know, it is a galaxy that you're walking around with in your head. And then when you think about it, those 86 billion neurons have connections with other ones, 
And that puts it up into the trillions when it comes to synaptic connections. So, I mean, that would just be one example. But um, the, other, the other principles are they revolve around uh, key concepts around neuroplasticity, as you were talking about, T, the idea that the, the neural networks that you fire up in your brain. So let's, let's, use, um, let's use violin for our example. So let's say I'm practicing the violin, and I do it every single day for half an hour to an hour, and then I actually start to fall in love with it, and I'm doing it half an hour to an hour to sometimes two hours a day. And it began horrible. It sounded terrible. You know, the neighbors would close the shutters. But now it's starting to sound fluid and actually beautiful and have sort of movement and depth to it. Well, if you looked in my brain and you watched that process, you would see that I kept firing up the neural networks for the left-hand positions. They were awkward at first on the violin, but over time, we watched me fire it up and fire it up and fire it up by practice, by daily practice. Lo and behold, we wired in left-hand neural networks that are spectacular. Now, I actually don't play the violin. So if you looked at my brain, you wouldn't see that. So the key, another key principle then is what fires together, wires together. So it's this idea that when you want to get really good at something, you have to work at it. You have to daily practice it. You have to commit to it. And so in the book, I mean, I think people grasp that concept very quickly, and we see it in the education system, for example. We understand that if a kid does math every day or a kid does um, language studies or chemistry every day, they're going to get better and better and better at it. And it increasingly gets more challenging, and they still do it every day, and they get better and better. Sure. We need to take... Yeah, practice makes yeah, we, perfect, right? We're told that all yeah, the time. But yeah. Why don't we apply that concept to somebody who's bullying? Why does well, because who's nobody has taught school? us that. <laughs> exactly. So what I, my big hope for the book, my big idea behind the revolution, is that if an individual is bullying... At a very young age, the quicker you catch it, the better. But if you have an yeah. adult even who is defaulting to abusive behaviors, we tend to think that this is a big moral issue. It's a, it's a character flaw. They're a bad person. And that's actually not true. They have a malfunctioning brain that can be changed through neuroplasticity by hard work and practice to completely eradicate those destructive neural networks and replace them with compassion and empathy. But we don't do it. No, and it's funny you should bring that up because there are adults, and we've seen it in this country over a four-year period with the former president that we had here who was nothing but a bully. And he bullied everyone, and people just bought into it. And I kept saying, I want to autopsy that brain. And people told me, you can't. He's not dead. And I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> I still think we should autopsy the brain. You know, I don't see why we can't. There's something wrong with that man. Yeah, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> you know, but that's well, a perfect example you know, of how bullying is out there and trickles down, and therefore people aren't trying to stop it because they're seeing it from the powers that be, and they're saying, oh, it must be okay, so let's everybody do it. There's been a huge increase over the past four, ye four years prior to the past year and a half, you know, where bullying was accepted as it's okay, and it's not. You know, this is exactly what I'm trying to hit hard with the book. I just, mm -hmm. I, you know, the fact that people talk about bullying as if it's a child's problem and it happens on the playground or in the high school is absolutely wrong. As you just pointed out, it happens in the highest echelons of power. And we yeah. all watch it on, we watch it, and they're not held accountable, and then we tell children not to do it. So we're, t mm -hmm. I mean, it's no joke that at the same time, 
bullying is on the rise. Here's a statistic to match it that's very tragic, and I hope your listeners don't mind, but this statistic just recently came out in the U.S. from 2000 to 2018. So that's the advent of the Internet. So 2000 to 2018, youth suicide, that's 10-year-olds to 24-year-olds, has increased 57%. Oh, they know this because I talk about this a lot on this show. Yeah. Good. We do a lot of statistics. Good, because- I mean, 20, 20% of kids are bullied in the schools in this country, 20%. And that's just, you know, know. that's not even, like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean hitting. That's being subject to rumors or lies, being made fun of, called names, insulted. And then there is pushing and shoving and tripped or spit on, being excluded from things, threatened with harm, or other people making them do things or attempting to make them do things they don't want to do or having property destroyed on purpose. That's got to get to a kid. But we see it in adults, too. That's why I think your book is so important, because it isn't just about young people and teaching them. We do, you do talk about that and say we need to start early, and I agree. But adults need to be able to do this, too. Well, I actually, I mean, as you know in the book, my big focus is adults. Because what we know is, and as you would know this, the brain is born wired for empathy. It's born absolutely full of a capacity to feel what someone is feeling, think what they're thinking, understand their intentions, and walk in their shoes. So what happens to that incredibly amazing brain with a superpower of empathy, which is one of the most sought-after qualities in the work world, What happens to that brain so early that it starts to be aggressive and nasty and harmful? That is on adults, pure and simple. It's learned behavior. It is not natural to the brain. So, you know, adults want to, they think they're so tough and they say they have to do these hurtful things to kids to toughen them up. It's like adults, you need to be tough enough to look in the mirror and ask yourself if you want to be someone to teaching children and role modeling for them, especially if you're in a public position, bullying behaviors, because they do nothing but hurt brains. Mm, but it's, sometimes it comes down to power and control. And you know what's interesting in this country? Uh, let's see. It is, it is a fact that every state has anti-bullying legislation. And when bullying is also harassment and happens in, let's say, a school context. Schools absolutely must. They have a legal, legal obligation to respond to that bullying according to federal laws. So you would think that students would be made aware of the legal ramifications and that would result in a decrease in offenses, but that's not the case. Bullying has increased, as you, as you talked about, and over the past five years it's gotten even worse. But bullying continues to be so prevalent in our schools and they're not teaching anything about how to not be bullying in a lot of the schools. I know some schools do, but in some of them, they do not. And quite frankly, it's, it's all over our society. It's everywhere. It's not just there. So when there's legal ramifications, that isn't even helping. See, if I was the lawmaker, if I was the policy writer, I would flip those laws. And I would make it legally criminal for adults to bully Mm. children and one another. I would not have any stringent laws for children because you wouldn't need them if the adults were raising children with compassion and empathy and information, frankly. If you taught kids 
I swear, if you taught children that feel the impulse to bully, that what was happening is they were trying to act out and get relief from their own trauma, and that there was going to be a group of people at the school that were going to support them and their family to find out exactly what it is that's going on that is resulting in this very dysfunctional behavior. Because bullying does not come from a happy home. It doesn't come from a safe place. It doesn't come from a trauma-free zone. It comes from trauma. And these kids that are manifesting it are issuing a big red flag that they need help very, very badly. They don't need discipline. That's a waste of time. They are desperate in their behaviors. They do. They need a, someone like you. They need a psychology person, an intuitive healer. They need someone that's going to talk to their mom and dad. And, you know, we are so backwards in our society when it comes to this that I cannot get over it. It's like there's so much science, it's extensive, and we're not teaching it to our children. We, we don't teach them how to manage their brains, how acting aggressively is, is a brain um, – it's a brain expression of distress, you know? It's fight. It's it is. It's part of the, the – um, yeah. And the powers that be are not paying attention to the science because – well, I live in New Jersey, and I learned in 2000 and, let's see, this is 22, 21, I guess it was, yeah, I guess it was the middle of 21, that the schools decided, hey, we have to cut our budgets. So what did they do? They got rid of the school psychologists, the social workers, Ugh. the guidance counselors, the instructors. That's the worst place to do it. That's the worst thing yeah. you can possibly do is start there. I was horrified. That's when my organization said we have to do a mental health initiative and try to get things back flowing in a better way to help the kids so it's really hard when it you know everything comes down to money right and it's a greed factor and that's what i think this comes down to as well how much money do we need where can we spend it where are we going to make the most money and they're not spending it where it truly needs to be first because the academics will come but you have to start i believe with the kids early on pre-k even before pre-k and teach them that's not nice you don't do this we come from our heart come from your heart live from your heart and when I explain that to little kids, they actually get it because that's, like you said, it's inherent. We're born that way. It's the adults that are messing up the kids' heads. Absolutely. No, and, you know, just as you say, it's, it's well established in research that when kids are motivated to learn an academic subject, they can learn it fast and furious. Their brains are unbelievably adept at learning things. But if you have, you know, you have to look at statistics, going back to your point, seeing you guys paid a lot of attention to this, how many adolescents know that they are four times more likely to die during adolescence than they are at any other time of their life? Do their parents know that? I mean, are teachers teaching them just how at risk they are? And then are they getting lessons in, hey, you know why you're so at risk? It's not your fault. It's evolution. Your brain is primed in adolescence to be a risk taker, to be a reward seeker, to be absolutely dependent on your peers for your sense of selfhood. That's all being driven through you. Just like hormones, your brain development is happening to you, but you need to learn how to manage it in order to stay safe. We don't teach them. We just let them self-destruct. It's tragic to me. It is. It's very tragic. You know, and I have to say, it, it seems to be even more prevalent due to social media because there are individuals who are able to anonymously hide behind, I'll say, like an avatar of sorts, which works extremely well for the cowardice of the bully, you know, because they don't have to face anybody. And, and I think that that's really social media has a lot of bad to it. It may have some good, but I see more bad than good. People take well, advantage of it. That, 
No, absolutely. And, you know, the message I would love to get out to those kinds of kids is every single time you bully someone, same thing with the, the bullies in the workplace, every single time you bully and hurt and do cruel things and try to do it behind other people's backs, you're damaging your own brain. And, you know, you can get to the point where your brain is so damaged that you enter into the world of psychopathy. And, you know, these, mm. the, the Machiavellians and the psychopaths and the uh, narcissists, when you look at their brains on brain scans, I mean, they're studied by neuroscientists. And, you know, when, like, if you and I or children that you've taught to react and believe and trust and feel safe enough to respond from the heart, so us, when we look at a very distressing image of someone being hurt or someone being laughed at or someone being put down or, or injured, we, or even an animal being injured, we would be absolutely awash in our brains. It would, all the areas would light up for empathy, for emotion, for like really intense feeling. Um, now, you put uh, under the scan a psychopath, you know, a narcissist or Machiavellian, their brains don't react that way anymore. They've lost those neural networks. That natural impulse has been eroded. It's gotten so harmed by whatever they've been through, whatever traumas, um, that when they look at an image like that, the centers that light up in their brain are cognition and language. Well, I mean, that, the narcissist is a master, same with the Machiavellian, at spinning a tail. They're liars. Mm-hmm. They're pathological liars, right? They, they yeah, are out there trying. Yeah. Well, and let's remember, those people did not come from a happy home. They, they lack yeah. self-esteem. They have grandiose notions of themselves built on a sense of worthlessness. This is why they're so tormented. Yeah, I guess I didn't look at it as being tormented when the person was running the country. So <laughs> that's, just another whole, that's just another whole story of, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. Why are we buying into this? Right now we're going to take a break for our Soju Share, though. It is time for our Soju Share people. We are sharing stories about kids from all over this planet who are not just filled with hope, but they are motivated, they are creative, focused, passionate, and determined to make a difference in this world. Our goal at SojiKids.org is to spread joy, hence our name Soji, which is an acronym for sharing our joy intentionally. And this week, our Soji share is Dennis Esteban. Now, when we talk about mental health and wellness in children, we often focus on, you know, what adults are doing, being vigilant for the warning signs, getting kids into the right treatment programs, uh, raising awareness in our communities. But sometimes in all our efforts to raise awareness and advocate for our kids, Adults forget that young people themselves have tremendous power to change their worlds and the lives of those around them. And sometimes it's as simple as having someone to sit next to at lunch. A few years ago, a high school student named Dennis Esteban noticed too many kids in the Boca Raton High School ate lunch alone. And when the lunch bell would ring, the kids would swarm the courtyards and form their usual social groups, and that invariably left some kids out. So Dennis knew that wasn't a good feeling, being by yourself, and that was something he didn't want anyone to go through. So being a Haitian immigrant, he knew firsthand the pain of social isolation from elementary school after he arrived in the U.S., and he found lunchtime was especially hard and the loneliness was intense for him. And as a young adult, he took it upon himself to change the culture at his school. He even said, to me, if you're not going to make that change yourself, who's going to do it? So he and some friends joined together to create a club called We Dine Together, 
WDT. And they spent their lunch hours reaching out to the kids who were by themselves, offering companionship during the meal. And what they discovered was that companionship often turns into true friendship among kids who might otherwise never interact. Now, the idea has taken root. We Dine Together is now a national grassroots student-led movement with clubs forming in schools in several states. They have become a part of the, you're going to love this, Jennifer, they've become a part of the anti-bullying organization Be Strong Global, and Dennis is now a graduate from Boca High and is the agency's director. So the overarching Mm -hmm. premises of, of Be Strong is to fight against bullying by training and equipping students to become more resilient, arm them with access to local services and organizations that can help, and unite them to change their families, their schools, communities, states, and the country as a whole. You know, bullying is a common experience for so many of our kids, and we see the stats and the heartbreaking stories that show children who are bullied experience real suffering that can interfere with their social and emotional development as well as their school performance. And some victims of bullying have even attempted suicide rather than continue to take the harassment and the punishment. The outreach efforts of groups like We Dine Together and Be Strong make it their mission to change all of that. So according to the We Dine Dine Together's website, student leaders make it a priority to create a positive social atmosphere on their campuses. For a new incoming student, the club is a welcoming committee. And to others, it can be a safe haven or a safe space where they can be themselves without fear of rejection. For the school, the We Dine Together family is a catalyst for real social change. So programs like We Dine Together and Be Strong are changing schools and communities where it matters most in the everyday lives of kids who are lonely, isolated, and often more subject to bullying than kids who are members of a tight-knit social group. And there's a clinical psychologist named Dr. Joshua Essery who says finding and utilizing a social network for support can be a key way to combat bullying. He advises people to build a group of peers and friends that agree that if they see or hear something, they will say something both to the bully as well as those in authority. Be Strong and the We Dine Together movement makes it possible for our kids on the sidelines to do just that, and they feel they have people they can turn to. Our children are amazingly resilient, big-hearted, and caring when given a chance, and they're making an impact on their own communities and the lives of children around the country. So kudos to Dennis Esterman for starting this We Dine Together and being such a huge part of its impressive success. You know, these are the stories that are life-changing. This is the good stuff that is happening in our world. And our children are coming up with these ideas. Kids are really cool. This is, this is just really good stuff that Soji focuses on and chooses to share with you each and every week. And merely focusing on the good in the world, stories like this one are very positive and impactful. And that alone makes the positive ripples even more enormous. So seek out the positive each day. It's good for you. It's great for your mental health. And in doing so, you'll help lift everyone else as well. Our energy is contagious. If we keep our energy positive, we will be spreading a good contagion, and that makes an incredibly positive impact on everyone. So it's a win-win. We like those here at From the Heart Radio. So that's our Soji share for this week. And we are back with Jennifer Fraser, author of The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. You can learn more about Jennifer at her website, bulliedbrain.com. So please take a moment and write that down now. B-U-L-L-I-E-D-B-R-A-I-N.com, and check it out after the show. So, Jennifer, before we 
took this little break. We were talking about bullying, of course. And um, I wanted to mention that there is a section in your book called Believe in Yourself. And this, to me, was probably one of the most important chapters in your book, perhaps because, because of my kids' foundation. And I, like you, believe we need to educate children. You know, I think that it's extremely vital to their overall health and well-being. And first and foremost, before they start with standard academics, it's something that needs to be done because our children are our greatest natural resources. We need to educate and protect them. And I know, I know, I know that you agree with that. And I, I, I think that one of the things that is important for people to understand is while we know it is possible to restore normal organic brain health after abuse, I think people want to know, how do we do that? And I know that's in your book, but without having to, <laughs> having to read the book, because some people don't have the book in their hand right now, can you offer any ways in which people could do something to, to start to train their brain in a better way? Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, that, the young man that you talked about, Daniel Esteman, what a fabulous young person. I just love stories mm-hmm. like that. I think it's really powerful. And it goes back to something you said, T, at the beginning, that rather than just penalize children or create more stringent laws, what we need to do is change the culture and find positive things to change the dynamic between children. So if you have isolated children, you, you don't let them become more and more, um, you know, lone wolves who feel bullied, who feel excluded. I mean, we know that this results in oftentimes very tragic lashing out. And so you, you want all kids to feel included and cared for and bonded, like the social ties are far more important than anything else at school. And if you don't have that as a foundation, you're, just, you're not going to have kids that believe in themselves. So uh, I just wanted to circle back to that because I think it's just such an important point. Um, Uh In terms of the brain, and this is just a continuation of sort of positive things we can do, um, everybody's been bullied or abused, abused maybe not, but definitely people have encountered harassment or bullying or harm or just getting really like rejected, things like that. So you say, so you can develop in your brain negative ways of thinking, negative ways of talking to yourself. You feel unsure. So step-by-step through the book, I developed a plan for how do you, how do you use the research to really practically apply it to your life. So I'm just going to talk about a few examples of the sorts of steps in the book that I used myself. Like I tried it out on myself because I, I come from an abuse background and um, and I was amazed, actually, at how much the research really pans out in terms of how you feel So, the, and the positive changes it brings to you. So one of them I want to start talking about would be, um, I'm gonna, I'll talk about two sort of in detail. And the first one is I use mindfulness, which has a huge mm. amount of neuroscience backing it up. So people, when, they, when people hear mindfulness, they think, oh, it's an ancient Eastern practice and it has to do with being a yogi and you sit on a cliff and you, you know, meditate. And that's very true. But it's also been shown in the neuroscience to be an incredibly powerful tool for brain health. So what people don't understand sometimes is that when you close your eyes and you get comfortable and you center yourself in your body and you start to do the slow breathing, very slow, purposeful breathing, what you're telling your brain is that you're safe. And when your brain feels safe, it's not looking at cyberbullying, it's not watching the news and feeling a lot of anxiety about all the the terrible things going on in the world, it's not um, worrying about finances or any of the stresses that we have in our lives. We all have these stresses. 
when you do the slow breathing and you close your eyes and you try to stay in the present, you're telling your brain to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. I know it's a big word, but just, just it's the opposite of the stress response system. And so the stress response system is what's so devastating to your brain and your body when you're being abused or bullied because you pump your body and brain full of cortisol. And the cortisol is a stress hormone designed to help you fight. And that's your kid that's doing the bullying at school. That kid is stressed out. They're pumped full of cortisol. And that's really unhealthy for them. So it's fight or flight, as your, your audience probably knows. That means you're in escape mode. You're the loner. You want to get away. You skip school. You don't do your chores. You're always in avoidance mode. Um, and then the final one is freeze, where you just are, you try to be the best child ever, don't want to be noticed. Um, you are just riddled with stress. And that's so bad for you. So when you do mindfulness practice and you close your eyes and you do the deep breathing, you shut that whole system down. You lower your blood pressure, your heart rate, your cortisol, your adrenaline. You drop it. And that's why it's one of the healthiest things you can do. It is worth, if you can just, it's hard to do, but if you can just start with seven minutes a day and then pull it up to 27 minutes a day, I can promise you if people were looking at your brain, they would see a, a, just an incredible health improvement. And if you come from lots of trauma or abuse, you have to be careful because sometimes when you do mindfulness, it takes you right back to times of danger because your brain is, is seeking the threat and it ha- you know, hones right in. So you have to be careful. Because I come from a lot of abuse, when I do mindfulness, I can't sit still. I have to get moving. So I do my mindfulness when I'm walking. I put myself into that complete purposeful breathing zone. I stay in the present. And I actually, me, I visualize my brain and I communicate with it. I tell it I'm safe. It can calm down. We can drop the cortisol. I'm very, very purposeful about it that way. But everyone has their own technique they might use. So that would be one um, practical, inexpensive, totally within your own control, and you, you reap amazing health and brain benefits from doing it. And that's and that and yes, it absolutely is. And that also, if you you know, if you do start to your brain starts to get that chatter and you need to get up and walk around and do something, you can actually sit there and do it in from a count of five and out exhale on a count of five and continue to do that for a few minutes. And within three minutes of doing that activity and just conjuring up the something that you're grateful for or that you are appreciative of or care about or feel compassion for. Those four words in the English language will start initiate healing, and that healing benefit is great for people who have PTSD, which is a result of bullying from childhood when you're an adult, and that can help you. It brings into play heart coherence, and it raises your endorphin, endorphin levels, lowers your cortisol levels, and the effects last for six hours. So there you go. And I know. And, you know, why aren't we teaching that to our kids? If you were teaching that to children that felt compelled to go out and hurt other children, you would be helping them because they they already have PTSD. They're already showing the signs that they're in fight mode. So why don't we help them, give them the tools to understand that they're actually being driven by their brain to behave this way. They think that they, you know, if they come from an abusive background, they always have that sense that there's a predator on their heels, you know, and and so they, they have to manifest a huge amount of power so they find someone that they can manifest their power over to kind of shake that off. And so, you know what's fascinating, and you would know this, T, from reading the book, but for your audience, 
um, there's a study being done on um, murderers, actually, in prison in Britain. And one of the things they found about them, which is really pretty sad, I've got two sad statistics for you, but it's the sad in order to be positive. These, these individuals who had murdered someone, they had very enlarged amygdalas in their brains, and that's a, the brain works as a whole, but if we separate parts out to, for this point, uh, the amygdala is the part of the brain involved in threat detection. It's the part that is always on high alert. If you come from abuse or a lot of bullying, it, is, it can become very hypervigilant, so it spends a lot of brain and energy looking for danger and seeing danger even when there's nothing there. It's extremely reactive. If you think of someone who's like, you know, the classic guy at the bar is like, you looking at me? You know, it's that kind of person <laughs> who's, who's had a lot of, has had a lot of threat and harm probably yep. in their life, right? And they, they see it everywhere. So anyway, these poor people, they've got these very enlarged amygdala. So the brain scientists were like, wow. And then another statistic that I think is very relevant to this and why I don't want to talk about these sorts of people in a moral way anymore, I think, and children, certainly children, we don't need to discipline and punish and say they're bad when they're bullying or say that they're cruel or callous. What we need to understand is it's a medical problem. So um, one of the statistics that really floored me, and I put it in the book, is that 70%, that's 70, 70% of inmates in the California prison system were once in foster care. So what you have is 70%, they have traumatized brains from childhood. Why aren't we rehabilitating them and saving them and helping them? And I'm not trying to, I do not want to minimize for anyone that's listening to this, the harm that these people do. I'm not, you know, Pollyanna about it. Like they need to be held absolutely accountable. It has to be transparent. It's got to stop. Victims deserve protection. And they do, too. The person that's a perpetrator who's got a damaged brain, they also need help. But, you know, we're, we're trapped in this old-fashioned, outdated, moral way of doing things, and it's, it's not good for us. No, but now we have your book, so we can use that. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that's why I want the science. I honestly am so wanting the science in everyone's hands. I think it can just save people and save kids in particular. Yeah, and the and the, at least the adults understand it and they'll buy it because it is there. There is something to back it up. There's proof. People just don't want to hear somebody say something and believe it. They need to have that that backup, and that's what that does. So, what is the second story you wanted to give us? Um, let me see. I I worked myself up into such a state that I don't remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. We were t- um. Well, let's talk about, let's, why don't we go back to the idea of belief, because it's such a beautiful thing. So mm-hmm. one of the things that the brain scientists learned was that if you believe in yourself, and it has to be realistic, so I can't believe, for example, because I'm not very, I'm naturally, I do not have a lot of understanding or capacity for mathematics. I just, my mind doesn't work that way very well. It's very language-based kind of brain, and we all have unique brains. So it would be unrealistic for me to believe that I was going to become the next Albert Einstein. That would be grandiose and not really very practical or healthy. On the flip side, if I was a kid and I loved poetry and storytelling and I was, had this crazy imagination and I, I loved to use words and learn vocabulary, it would be great for me to see a role model out there in the world, like a, a woman who was a writer or a, a playwright or a poet, and that 
and then commit to the hard work because I believe I too could be that. Um, believe in myself. That shows that that's where the brain gets really excited and starts to work hard. And it starts to believe in growth mindset, which is the idea that, sure, you're going to make a ton of mistakes. You actually might fail a bunch of times, but that's okay because that's all part of the work required to achieve what you believe in. And so that's one of the most interesting and important researchers, research studies, I think, for people to understand. So you have to, you have to set yourself a goal, and, you, and your brain will take you there if you put in the practice and the hard work. It will, and your book explains how to do that in, a, in sequential order. So it makes sense as you go through the book, each thing that you talk about, each topic that you bring up, and the way to you give examples and then how to do it. And it's perfect for somebody to be able to take this and be able to put it into practice just by reading it straight through. Don't skip around. Just go from beginning to end. I know sometimes people want to read something else. And, you know, if you do it in order, it seems to me it will be highly effective. So that is what I got from the book. Well, I'm actually really glad you said that because I am always just horrified when people tell me that they've jumped around because I really spent a lot of time constructing it as a program that made sense, that was designed for you to actually slowly but surely build your, you know, this brain capacity to understand how to make the change. And um, you know what's funny is my agent, John Willig, he lives in New Jersey. He lives in New Jersey, and he, um, when I gave him the first version of the book, it was very, very academic. And he said, you know, I, I don't mean to be mean, but no one's going to read yeah. this book. You've got to fix it. <laughs> I said, oh, I said, what's wrong? And he said, it's just so academic. You've got to make it more about yourself. Readers care about you and your story. You know, put the research around that, but this is mm-hmm. so, you know, I think he wanted to say boring, but he's a very nice man. So uh, I went back to the drawing board, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try this program out of myself. It's all, it's all very fine to read a bunch of brain science, but put it in practice. Make it work. Does it work? Say, say what it feels like and what you discovered. And I think the discoveries are important in the book that I learned over the process of going through it. Absolutely, and the fact that your story is intertwined with the science makes it easy for anybody to resonate with. It makes it easy to do. But I know people who do just want a quick fix, and they'll say, I'll just go to the end. You can't just – you have to start in the mailroom and work your way up. You cannot just go to the end and think it's going to work. You have to take all the steps. And they're easy steps. Nothing is difficult, and it's laid out in a way that you can do it easily. You won't have questions about it. I loved it. I thought it was really great. I I appreciate that. And before we go, because we're getting toward time, I do have one more question for you. (laughs) So I went to your website, and I read some stuff and everything, and I I see that you actually write thrillers. And I looked at that, and I started laughing, and I thought, oh, no, she she writes thrillers? I can't stand thrillers. They scare me to death. (laughs) I like this book. I don't want the thriller. When did you start, and how, how did that come about? That is so funny. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I was – I take it no I, one I else love, this question. Nobody has ever asked this question. No, you must be a sleuth. You're like a detective, T. You were, like, <laughs> hunting for the true story behind all of this. Um, what happened was I, I was working in an English department teaching, and all the people that I worked with were in a writer's group, and they all wrote short stories, and they wrote poetry. And I was like, why do I write these 
boring academic books when I could be like making up characters and having adventures and you know so I I um in the first book it's called Crush and it's a wine thriller and it's just for fun I mean it's the kind of book you well, read I on like an airplane wine. to pass the time well if you like wine you would love Crush um <laughs> okay and and then and then the other book is it's called Royal Dispatch and it's really researched I wrote I did a deep dive into the history, but I love Queen Elizabeth. So I was the saddest person when Queen Elizabeth died because um, I wrote it all about her coming to visit Victoria, British Columbia, where I live. And she did come here in the 1950s. She has really strong ties with Canada. And she came here in the 1950s, so I wrote it all about an IRA plot to abduct her. And I, I had the time of my life doing it, but then I got pulled into the bullying and abuse crisis. So I stopped writing thrillers, and I pulled myself together and started to do some serious work again. Yeah, but you can go back to it. I just had to find out. I thought, here she is doing stuff about the brain, and this is, this is academic, and it's really important, and she writes thrillers? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's yeah, another. And I look at your picture, and I thought, she doesn't look like a thriller person. You know? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I'm not really a thriller person, but I had a lot of fun doing that, which is good, because I needed some fun yes. before my long journey into looking at some hard stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Oh, my goodness. Now, before we go, and I know you need to get off in a second, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and your work and where they may purchase your book, The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health? The book is available all over the place, but it would actually be, if people are interested in in getting it, it would be fabulous for me if you got it off Amazon and then you wrote a review. I've just heard from my agent that to trip up the algorithm to get it working i've got to have tons and tons of reviews so i love a review um and but it's it's available all over the place and my website is bullied brain i love to hear from people i do one-on-one coaching i do presentations and speaking gigs all over the place and i'm and i'm super happy to just you know talk if you need help and you can reach me um, through the website. There's a contact form. And I thank you so much for having me, T. It was lovely to talk to you. Um, you're obviously just so, I, you're just bringing good stuff out into the world. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a wonderful show. I really enjoyed it. I, I love your book. I, I do write reviews after the show, so you'll get two from me, one on Amazon and one on Goodreads. And, uh, and I'll let you know about those. But I'll speak with you soon, I'm sure. You have a wonderful night. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on From the Heart Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a most challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. This is where you find the tools to do just that, so please share the good news by sending this link for the show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place too. On behalf of everyone here at From the Heart Radio, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at From the Heart Radio. Please also check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need 100%. We're run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries, stipends, or compensation of any kind to anyone. Every penny goes toward underprivileged children, and right now we're helping subsidize the cost of mental health sessions for children who might not otherwise receive this much-needed therapy. If you don't have 
strong mental health, you cannot learn or live well at all. It is vitally important. All children deserve a fair chance for a good life all children. And that starts with mental health. Children need help. Together we can provide them the help they need. Please consider donating to SojiKids.org. Your donation makes a huge difference. Every single dollar matters. If you'd like to sponsor a child, please visit SojiKids.org to learn how. At Soji Huggles, we're investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. Thank you for taking time to visit our website, SojiKids. That's S-O-J-I- KIDS.org. Please follow us on Twitter at Soji Huggles. And while you're in your social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. We shall leave you with From the Heart Radio's Thought for the Week by Michelle Cruz Rosado. People will love to despise the person you were and or the person you have become. We can allow that negativity to eat us alive or we can pray for their happiness. Keep your heart open and all will be healed. I am your host, T-Love, here at From the Heart Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a I got a warm